Well, welcome to the Christmas season here at Vertical Church. We're glad you're here with us today. You know, so many great ways you can look at the Christmas story. You can look at it through the eyes of Joseph. You can look at it through the eyes of Mary. You can look at it through the shepherd's perspective. You can look at it through the eyes of the wise men. And we've done some of that over the last two years here at Vertical. This year, we're going to take a little bit different look at the Christmas story from a passage that is kind of a non-traditional Christmas passage, but it is all about what Jesus has become and has done for us. You can see, of course, in the birth of Jesus, the compassion of God to come and be a Savior, to take our burden. You can see the wisdom of God. You can see his righteousness. But this month, what I'm praying as we look at our passage is that we will see the majesty of Jesus, that we will see him high and lifted up as the king above all kings, the Lord over all lords, and that it will produce in us depth of worship, humility, passion within us that we've never experienced before. Are you ready for that kind of journey? Yeah, I am too. So the book of Hebrews is where we are today. If you want to turn to the book of Hebrews or in the New Testament, we're in chapter 1. We're going to look at the first four verses over the next month, and, but we're going to look at just verses 1 and 2 today. In this passage, in fact, in the book of Hebrews, the writer is just elevating Jesus above all. He says he's greater than the angels. He's greater than the prophets. He's greater than the priesthood. He's greater than the law. He's greater than the old covenant. He's greater than anything that you and I could ever seek or imagine. Jesus is greater. And so as we get into this passage, we see right away the writer just elevating what Jesus has done. So let's just jump into it right away this morning, all right? Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, it says this. It says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets. He says, there's been a lot of ways that God has spoken in times past. He has spoken in a variety of ways, he has spoken in various times, and he has spoken to our fathers, those before us, he says, through the prophets. He has given a message. And did you know that every message, every picture, every message in the Old Testament all pointed to Jesus Christ? Every one of them did. In fact, if you really want to understand the Old Testament, you've got to get in your mind that Jesus is what the entire Bible is about. And when you understand that, then the Old Testament will begin to make sense to you. If you try to approach it without that, it will seem like some unrelated stories. It will seem difficult to try to piece together, well, how does this fit with 1 Corinthians? How does this fit with the book of Acts? When you understand Jesus is the center of not just the New Testament, but the Old Testament, it all begins to make a little bit more sense. So, for example, in the book of Genesis, when a serpent comes and he tempts Adam and Eve, and afterwards God says, serpent, you will bruise his heel, the seed of the woman who is to come, but his seed will crush your head. It's a reference to Jesus. Right there in the opening pages of the book of Genesis, it's all about Jesus. There's one coming from woman, and Satan, you will bruise his heel. You will cause an injury to him, but it will not be life-threatening, ultimately. But this same one, he will inflict a bruise on your head that will be the ultimate destruction of you. It's the first picture. It's one of the first pictures, at least, there. When he speaks of Noah, and he speaks of an ark being prepared that will take the people away from the judgment that is to come, it's a picture of Jesus being escape for those who trust in him. When God speaks to Abraham and says, in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. It's a reference to Jesus, ultimately. It's pictures of Jesus over and over again. When Abraham has a son and he goes to offer him on, on an altar and God provides a ram in his place, it's a picture of Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Everywhere in the Old Testament is all about Jesus. When the law was given, it was lifting up the righteousness of Jesus. 
When it talked about a lamb being required to be offered for sin, it was talking about Jesus. When the children of Israel were given a land flowing with milk and honey, it was a reference to all that Jesus would be for them. When Moses lifted up a serpent in the wilderness, it was a picture of Jesus being lifted up for our sins. It's all about Jesus. Now, in some places in the Old Testament, it just, it's very clear. It's very obvious. For example, in Isaiah, a very familiar Christmas passage to us, Isaiah 9, says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. There is no end to the increase of his government and peace on the throne of David and of his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judge, judgment and justice from now on and forever. It's a reference to Jesus Christ. Amen? It's just everywhere. When you picture that, understand that, then all that was spoken before time, all that was spoken in various times and in various ways was all about Jesus. It all begins to make more sense. And so the writer says, you know, God has spoken in past times in various ways. But look what he says next. He says, has in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Everything that was, was just fulfilled in Jesus. Everything that has happened is pointing to Jesus. He has spoken to us now, and he has fulfilled all that he has said in the Old Testament in Jesus Christ. He has spoken to us. I know sometimes in my life, and I've, I've talked with others, you get to a place in your life where you say, well, I just don't know that I hear God speak anymore. It just seems like he's gone silent, that he is not speaking, that he hasn't spoken. I haven't heard him. I know what that feels like, but I'm reminded of truths like this. When I'm tempted to think God has turned God has left. God has rejected me. I remember, no, no, God is not silent. He has spoken. He has spoken for me, to me, and he has spoken in, its, in his entirety through his son. So I turn back and I look at what Jesus has done and I say, yes, Father, you have spoken and you are speaking. So the writer of Hebrews just builds on this idea, God has spoken. It's essential that you know something about his son, because if you don't know his son, if you don't know what he's done, if you don't know what he's about, if you don't know who he is, then you can't know that God has spoken. Amen? In fact, the more you know about who he is, where he's come from, what he has as his plan, and where he's going, the more you know about Jesus, the more you'll know how God speaks. So if you're at a place today where you say, well, I just don't know that I'm hearing God speak anymore, then you've got to run to Jesus. He's the one. He's the voice. He's the word. He's the one that's spoken. He's the message from the Father. He is speaking, and you can hear it in Jesus Christ. Now let's move on in the passage because the writer is now going to just begin to unfold some beautiful truths He's going he's gonna to pull back the curtain and show us some majestic truths about who Jesus is. And you might wonder how we're going to be able to camp out on four verses in four weeks. You won't wonder that when this is all over. You'll wonder, we should have taken more time on this. There's a lot in these passages, and the writer of the Hebrews is going to unfold eight different things about Jesus and why he is the one. He is the king of all kings. So look what he says here in this verse. He says, whom he has appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the world. Two truths that I want to see this morning and see about who Jesus is and what he has done. Let's take it kind of in reverse this morning. Let's take the last part of this verse. Through whom also he made the worlds. The scripture is clear that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. No big amen about that? Hello, folks. He, it did not evolve. It did not just appear by chance. It's not here by some primordial ooze. It's not here just because of some big bang, unless you're referring to the big bang when God spoke and it all came into being. Now, that I'll agree with. That's a big bang. 
You speak a word in eternity and heavens just go, they're just in place all of a sudden. That is a big bang. And I'll go with that theory. He is the one who made the heavens and the earth. And the scripture says that the son was there with the father when it all happened. The book of Proverbs talks about it. Colossians talks about it. In fact, it says in Colossians 1.16, it says, For by him all things were created. A reference to Jesus. Things that are in heaven, things that are in earth, visible and invisible. Whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. So Jesus is there with the Father, and they create. And it's not difficult. They're not having to labor in it. They don't have to spend years doing it. They don't, at the end of the day, are tired. That's just not what's happening. They speak, and it's created. And it's created with great wisdom. It's created with great design. It's created with great power. And it's created with great purpose in spite of what you may have heard. It's not random. It's not by chance. It hasn't just evolved. It's not chaotic. It is by God's sovereign hand and purpose. All of it. Every bit of it, as Colossians said. Whether it be the things you see or the things you can't see. He designed them all. He has an intended purpose for them all. And when he created them, he put man in the garden to walk in it. And I know we like to think of that time as, oh, it must have just been so beautiful, like it was the most beautiful thing we've ever seen on earth, maybe something like that. I'm afraid that we can't even come close to the grandeur of what it must have been like in that first created world. Because you see, then... It wasn't just that the trees were prettier and the animals were nicer. In that day and in that time, the realm of eternity and the realm of the temporal existed as one. And all that today we struggle to see by faith, they saw by sight. They saw God walking with them. They didn't have to wonder where he was until after they sinned. They didn't have to wonder where life was. In fact, there was this mysterious thing that happened in the Old Testament there in, the, in Genesis before the fall of man. Where even the created world had spiritual properties to them. A tree has the power of life. You could eat from this tree and it gave you life. A tree could, you could eat from it and it be all that nourished you physically but nourished you spiritually as well. A tree that also had the power to bring death. It wasn't just because it was a poisonous tree. It was because it had some spiritual power to it. And there was a realm in this day where God and man dwelt together and they saw things that you and I just try our best to imagine today. The realm of the angelic and the spirit all being one with the physical and the temporal, all that together. This is how it was created. Created by him and for him. This is how... God intended life to be, for man to walk with God, for man to never die, not just physically, but even spiritually, to never be separated from God, to always know his presence, to always know his peace, to always know his blessings, and to walk in all of that, not in arrogance, not in selfishness, but in deep humility and wonder at walking with God. And this is how life was. This is how it was designed. This is how it was intended to be. Until the serpent deceived man. He took of the fruit he was not to take of, and he ate. And death came to man. Now there was separation. Now man ran and hid. Where he was once clothed in glory the very glory of God 
and not ashamed of who he was and walking with the Father. Now he would run and hide and cover himself. The glory departed. He was left to himself. He was left bare. He was left naked. He was left ashamed. No more glory dwelling on him, in him, with him. Death now reigns. Man will physically die. Corruption comes to the earth. The planet is changed. The universe is changed. Things don't operate like they once did and were intended to. Now there would be strife. Now there would be conflict. Now there would be murder. Now there would be selfishness. Now there would be doubt. Now there would be uncertainty. Now there would be revenge. There would be jealousy. This was not how God intended life to be. And it would begin to spill over as a bad infection throughout the entire planet. It would affect the created world. It would affect the invisible world. Principalities and powers would all now be altered. Everything changed because of man's sin. The rule that man was intended to have was forfeited. Man had been given earth. He'd been given the responsibility to rule and reign over it all. But he forfeited it by his sin. He lost it. It was taken from him. And now, Satan, the one who deceived, would become the prince of the power of the air. He would now inflict and tempt and bring death and cause conflict and cause dissension and murder and envy and jealousy and he would rule. This was not how life was intended to be but God had a plan and it didn't catch God by surprise when he created the worlds oh he knew in sovereignty and wisdom he knew the Bible says that before the foundations of the world, before they were created, the son was slain. He was already crucified because this day would come. And there would be a plan and there would be a way for man to be redeemed. There would be a day that after sin had plagued man, after the law had come and revealed the righteousness of God and the curse of sin upon man, God would send his son who would come and take on flesh and blood like us. He would come and walk on the planet like us. He would come and take upon himself the guilt and the shame of what we had done. He would become... Guilty like it was him who committed the sin so that we might be free as if we had never sinned. He would take that place and in so doing, he would die. But that was not the end of the story. Three days later, he would raise again from the dead and he would live forevermore and he would enter into heaven and he would pay the price for sin and he would send his spirit here and it would capture the hearts of men and women and time would play out until a day in Ovilla, Texas in 2017, we'd be sitting here together and hearing about and worshiping Jesus for what he has done for us. Amen? Amen. Amen. He would win our hearts. And he would say that there is life in me, not by your works, but by faith to receive what I have done for you in grace. And a generation of people would be alive that would be the church that would serve him and walk in his ways and obey him. God always had a plan. Which brings us to the first part of our verse whom he has appointed heir of all things. 
from the beginning, God had a plan. Not just to provide a savior for man's sin, but for there to be a day, a day coming when this one who had humbled himself to the point of death, even the death of the cross, would be given a name above all names, that at this name every knee should bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. That he would arrive at a place and a time where once again all that God designed and intended and all that had been lost and corrupted would be redeemed and Jesus would sit on the throne and he would become the heir of all things. All things would return to him and he, because he was son, and he, because he was fully obedient, and he, because he laid down his life, would rule and reign forever. Amen. That day is coming. And this passage says that he was appointed for that. He was chosen for that. That the father said, I've got a plan. And here's what's going to happen. My son will ultimately be the one who receives all things to himself. He will be my heir. He will receive the inheritance. He will receive the planet Earth. He will receive all men. He will receive eternity, and he will rule and reign. Amen. Amen. Now, here's where we step behind the scenes to look at the story of Christmas. You thought we'd step behind the scenes already. Well, we're just kind of in the outer court right now. We're going to step on into some inner, inner space areas right now. Some stuff that the Bible says to us that you may not be familiar with, but I am confident today is going to raise your exaltation meter. Amen? So that it, it causes your worship to be a bit more glorious than it's been before. That you see Jesus lifted up higher than perhaps you've seen him before. Because that's what we do here at Vertical Church. We lift him up and give him out. Amen. So, for our behind-the-scenes look, take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Revelation, chapter 5. The book of Revelation, chapter 5. Follow along in your Bible, your Bible app, or you can follow me on screen, whichever you'd like to do. In Revelation, chapter 5, John has been given this, this pull-back-the-curtain moment. God has allowed John to see into eternity. And the thing about eternity is it doesn't operate on the same kind of timeline that, it, that we operate on. We think in terms of yesterday and tomorrow and five minutes ago and five minutes from now. Eternity is a little different. It operates on a uh, what's then is now and what's now is then and future is now, and it's kind of this all thing together, and you'd have to be an eternity to understand any of it. That's why the book of Revelation sometimes can be so difficult to understand. That's why when you listen to preachers on the radio, you get 30 million different views about the book of Revelation, right? That's why you get all these different ideas about Jesus is going to come back before the rapture, or being before the persecution, before the tribulation, after the tribulation, all this different stuff. There's so many different ways you can look at all of that. I'm just going to tell you up front, here at Vertical Church, our main emphasis is Jesus is coming back, period. I'm not going to get caught up in all the details of when and how and all that stuff. I'm just going to keep lifting him up and living him out. And when he comes, I'll say hallelujah. Amen? Amen. So in the book of Revelation, in chapter 5, John has been shown Jesus on a throne. God and the Spirit and the Son reigning. Chapter 4 is this glorious picture of the throne. But you get to chapter 5, and you find out some just amazing, beautiful things that tie in with what Jesus has done for us in coming as man. So let's take a look at it here. Chapter 5, verse 1. John says, And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll 
written inside and on the back and sealed with seven seals. So John sees this throne in eternity. And it is high and it's lifted up. And he gives this description of it in chapter 4. It's beautiful. It's glorious. And he sees on the throne one who sits there. And he has in his right hand, which is the hand of power and honor and strength, he is holding a scroll. He is holding a written document. And John seems pretty clear about what this document is. To us, we might consider it a book because there's a lot written on it. But it's, it's, it's formed like a scroll. John would have understood it to be like a legal document in his day, almost like a title deed to a piece of property. And it would have seven seals on it, describing its great importance. Sealed, 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 seven times. Because this document was of such great value that not just anyone could open it. Not just anyone could read it. Not just anyone could even come and touch it. Not just anyone could come and even hold it. Except here on the throne is one holding it. And from what we read in the rest of the book of Revelation, this scroll is the title to planet Earth. It is the document that holds the future of the planet, and really all creation. Here is what Adam lost. You remember what I said earlier? Adam, when he sinned, lost what was his rule and responsibility over all things, to subdue all things on planet Earth. He lost it, and here God holds the deed. Whoever holds the deed controls what happens on it. And this deed is there. It's the title to earth. It's the ownership of creation. It's the right to rule and reign. Whoever holds this rules and reigns over the property. They have the right to execute justice. They have the right to access God. They have the right to give blessing. They have the right to allow man from the property into the throne room of God. They have the right to give peace. They have the right to give power, to give blessing, to give honor. Whoever holds the scroll holds life for the future of the planet and all creation. This scroll is very, very John is caught up in this moment where time seems to have just slowed for just a moment. And here is one on the throne holding the scroll. The passage goes on in verse 2 and it says this. It says, Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? Like a courtroom. Spread across eternity, the angel shouts out, Is there anyone worthy? You see, to be able to read the scroll, loose the seals, control the scroll, they would have to be one from the planet. They would have to be from the place that the property was about. They would have to know the condition of man because this scroll contained the future of man. They would have to know something about what it means to walk as man, experience man, live as man. They would also have to be found worthy, as the passage says. They couldn't just be any man. They would have to be a man who is perfect, they would have to be man who is righteous. They would have to be man who has never sinned. They would have to be man who's experienced life, but they would have to never have sinned ever in thought, in attitude, in word, in secret, or in public action. They would have to be perfectly 
righteous. And they would have had to have defeated the one who currently held the scroll. You see, Satan is the one who's the prince of the power of the air. He has given temporary authority on the planet. That's why we look out today and things are not as they ought to be. Amen? Things are not as God intended. This is not the way life was designed to be. And the prince of the power of the air has uh, the ability to rule and to influence and to reign and to speak into people's hearts and minds and deceive them and distort and twist and lead them astray and cause them to be confused and cause them to buy into lies and cause them to think that going away from God is the way to life that causes people to get messed up in stuff they've got no business being involved in. It leads them into alcohol. It leads them into drugs. It leads them into pornography. It leads them into all kind of abuse. It leads them into distortion. It leads them into lies. It leads them into stealing. It leads them into corruption. The prince of the power of the air is the one who speaks all of that and leads men astray. And this angel asks the question, who? Who is worthy to step up? Who is worthy to take the scroll? Who can open it? Who can loose its seals? Who can free man from his destruction? Who can free man from his bondage? Who can deliver us from the pain we're in? Who can deliver us from the suffering? Who can sit on the throne? Who can exact justice? Who can rule and reign? Who is going to deliver us? And the passage goes on. It says this. John said, and no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. John said in this moment, he looked and he looked at all that had lived or were living on earth, all who were under the earth, all who in heaven. And he said, out of all of these areas where man could exist, there was no one, no one worthy, not, not to just even take the scroll, but they couldn't even look at it. They were all unrighteous. They were all unworthy. Not Noah, Moses, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, David, Solomon, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Peter, Paul, John himself. People we lift up as great men of faith. No one, absolutely no one is found worthy to take this scroll. And they can't even look at it. And the future of the planet and creation is there. John goes on to verse 4 and he says, So I wept much. He doesn't just tear up. He bursts into tears. He is weeping. He's uncontrollable weeping much. And he says, because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. If no one can open the scroll and look at it, then man is doomed. If no one can open the scroll, then Satan wins. If no one can open the scroll, then eternity is darkened. And John weeps. And I imagine John weeps in the same way that great men and women of Scripture wept. I'm sure when Adam and Eve were driven out of the garden, they wept. I'm sure as they saw their son Abel dead at the hand of his brother, they wept. 
I'm sure that while Israel lived in bondage, they wept. When Job lost all that he had, he wept. When David's son died, in part because of his own sin, he wept. And John weeps. He weeps in the same way that we weep today. When a parent has to stand over the grave of one of their children and they weep, John weeps. This is not how it was intended to be. When a loved one is sick and on their deathbed and you weep, John weeps. When a wife knows her marriage is not anywhere near what God longs for it to be, and she weeps in the same way John weeps. When we look at our world today and we see the chaos and the turmoil and our hearts are saddened and we weep, John weeps because if somebody doesn't step up and take the scroll, then this whole thing is doomed. And John weeps. Who will deliver us? I'm grateful that the story doesn't end here. Revelation chapter 5, verse 4 is not the end of the Bible. It's just part of the story. Verse 5. But, but one of the elders said to me, one who's gathered there around the throne, he says, do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and loose its seven seals. You see, while this is happening, Jesus has just finished dying on earth for the sins of man. He has just been resurrected, and behind the scenes we're getting this look now where the elder says, hold up, hold up, stop your crying. Get a handkerchief or something. You're going to need to wipe your face because I'm telling you, someone has prevailed. It's the line of the tribe of Judah. It's the root of David. Every prophecy, every promise has come true. And he, he is worthy. He is righteous. He was on planet earth. He walked as man. He felt the temptation, but he never sinned. And he is victorious. Amen. Someone has fulfilled it. Someone has accomplished it, and it's the one who was appointed the heir of all things. Amen? Verse 6, John says, And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne, I look at this throne where this, this God is sitting. Our God is sitting. He said, and in the midst of it, there, there stands up. He says, four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders, there stood up a lamb. There in the midst of this place of great glory and great holiness, surrounded by the elders, someone stands up and says, here I am. And it's Jesus. And it says he's a lamb. Amen? He fulfills the prophecy. He is all that the Bible said he would be. He would be one who would lay down his life as a spotless lamb. And he stands up. I'm going to tell you what. You don't stand up in the presence of God unless you have been appointed the heir of all salvation. Amen? And he stands up, and he's there in the midst of it all. The passage goes on, and it said this lamb, it's as though he had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sound into all the earth. He has, he has a crown. He has power. He has the spirits of God upon him. He is the one who sees all and knows all. He is the one who is now reigning. And it said, it's as though he had been slain because he had. He had been slain. He had taken on our sin, and he died for us, but he was no longer dead. He was standing as the lamb. He was standing as king. It goes on, it says, Then he, this lamb, this lamb man, came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. The scroll is held out. Here's all the future of man. Here's the justice, the judgment, the future of blessing, the possession of tidal earth, the possession of all eternity. And the lamb stands up and walks over and he takes the scroll because he's worthy. 
because he's righteous, because he fulfilled all the requirements, and he takes it out of the hand of the one who's seated on the throne. It says in verse 8, Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. 24 elders, most likely representing the 12 tribes of Israel, Old Covenant, and the 12 disciples, the New Covenant. And they all bow in worship. They fall down before the Lamb. He's worthy. He has done it. He has accomplished what no one else could. He has done what only he could do. And they are in full worship of him. It says, as they're worshiping, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Each of these have a golden bowl of incense, it says, which are the prayers of the of the saints. Every prayer ever prayed are in these bowls, the Bible says. Every cry of a mom, every tear and brokenhearted dad, every man caught in his own sin, every man longing for redemption, every person struggling and wanting to see God, everyone who has ever cried out to God in prayer, they are here in these bowls, and they're before the Lamb, and they're worshiping, and they're singing, and they're bringing these before the Father, and it's a beautiful place of worship as their voices are worshiping, and these prayers are in this place. Every cry, and the Lamb Hears them all. It says that while this is happening in verse 9, that, that they are moved. These elders and all who are there, they're moved by this. And here's what it says in verse 9. And they sang a new song. There had been a song in heaven before. There had been a song by the angels that said, Holy, holy, holy. That's what angels know. They know holy, holy, holy. They know his righteousness. They know his holiness. They know his glory. They know his purity. But now a new song enters heaven. A song that hadn't been sung before. Can you imagine that? A new song came into heaven. You try to bring new songs into some churches and they'll crucify you. Hello? Yeah? Here it is in heaven, and they're about to sing a new song. And no one's upset about it. They like it. They say, put the words on the screen. Let's sing it. And there's some instruments. There's some harps that people are playing, and everybody's okay with it. I won't say anything else. And here's the song. You, Lamb, are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood. You made a way. You were the one. You were appointed heir of all things and you walked as man. You took upon him on yourself. You took his guilt. You faced the temptations. You faced the evil one himself. And in all of it, you did not sin ever. He stayed righteous. He stayed one. He obeyed fully. And it made him worthy. He was worthy. And this is the new song. They hadn't heard this song in heaven up to this point. They'd only heard holy. But you see, no angel had known what it was like to sin and be redeemed. To have fallen and have your heart won back to the Father. To have your sin erased. To be 
given righteousness when you deserved judgment. I'm telling you, that song had never been heard in heaven up to this point. It's a new song, and it is directed at the Lamb. And they say, you, you are worthy because you took the place of man. You were slain, and you've redeemed us. You've bought our life back, and you've brought us to God by your blood, not by works, but by your blood. And now the 24 elders are singing a brand new song. Amen? The next part of verse 9 says this, that they're singing, they've been redeemed, and it says, out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. Not only have you redeemed these fallen, rejected beings, man, but you have blessed them and they will reign with you. We will reign with him. Amen. Amen. This, this is what's happening all behind the scenes, right? Mm. If we move on down to verse 13, it says this, and every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and as such are in the sea and all that are in them, you name it, if it was living and breathing, it's about to be saying something. Here's what it is. Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. And they can't stop it. They just keep singing it. They just keep proclaiming it. They just keep worshiping because there's never been someone worthy until now. And now the lamb stands up and says, here I am. And he takes the scroll and he looses its seals. And you have to read the book of Revelation to see what happens next. <laughs> but what a, what a beautiful behind-the-scenes look at this one who is the lamb, the man, and the heir of all things, who laid down everything... Not just his life, but his position in heaven so that he might become man so that we might take on the position he has in heaven with him. That's for another day in time. And this is what he was appointed to do. You see, whatever God says he's going to do, he's going to do it. He's going to do it. You may not see it right now. He's going to do it. You just wait. If he's promised it, he'll fulfill it. He's going to do it. He'll bring it to pass. And you say, but this is all great. I can see where that was happening behind the scenes. I can see where that's all happening now. But when I look today at my life, when I get out of this building and get back in my car and get back in my house, a different set of reality comes to play, right? How does all of this fit with that? Because now we're in the waiting phase. The book of Hebrews is pretty honest about it later. He says, there'll be a day when all things will be under the feet of Jesus. But we don't see all things under his feet today. I just quoted scripture. That's what it says. That's really what it says. It's honest about we don't see all things under the feet of Jesus today, right? It says, though, but we see Jesus. We see him. So let, let's do three walkaway points today, and then let's worship some together today, all right? Three big points for us to walk away with us. The first one is this. By faith today, I live with Jesus victorious over my life. The gospel is God sent his son to take our place, 
God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. When you believe and receive what he has done, you receive his spirit in its fullness, in its, in its grandeur. You receive it and it becomes yours and you become a child of God. You become a new creature, the Bible says. You don't ease up into it, evolve into it, work your way up into it, or somehow get there by random chance. Hello. You get there by believing, and when you believe, boom, sealed, done. And it can't be taken away from you. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are saved. You do become a new man in that moment. Your sins are forgiven. Now, you and I are going to walk in understanding that. I'm going to grow up into what all that means, but I'm going to live in the victory that I have. Book of Romans says I've actually been made more than conqueror in Jesus Christ, and you have too. And I live in that. So today I may and I will sin, but here's what's going to happen. I'm going to repent of my sin, and I'm going to receive forgiveness, and I'm going to worship Jesus. I'm going to go on. I'm going to keep replaying the tape. I'm going to keep going back three years ago, five years ago, ten years ago to what I did. I'm going to go all the way back to the cross and see it paid for. I'm going to go all the way back to the resurrection and see Jesus seated next to the Father. I'm going to live in the victory. Amen? All right. The second thing, though, is that there's coming a day when all things will be under the feet of Jesus. Scripture makes it clear. That day is coming. Don't get caught up in looking at the world today and think, mm, I don't know. I'm not sure it's going to happen now. Thought it was? Probably not. Don't know. Look, if God said it, believe it. It's going to happen. And in that day, the Bible says, all things will be put under his feet. Everything that today stands to do its own thing, everything that stands against what God created will be subjected that day. There will be no more sickness. It'll be removed. There will be no more cancer, heart disease, or any disease. It'll be removed. Death will be defeated. There will be no more death. Amen? There will be no more decay. There'll be no more aging. There'll be no more decay of the planet or decay of us. Sin will be eradicated, completely removed from the planet. Tension, confusion, conflict removed. Amen. Pain gone. Tears gone. Satan will be destroyed. No more temptations, no more deceptions, no more lies. Faith will become sight. Blessing will become reality. And man will dwell with God and reign with him forever. Amen. All enemies under his feet. Third big point we walk away with today is this. I now... In Christ, live with both confidence for today and longing for that day. Now, here's the curious mix about the state in which we live. You might think, okay, all those things about Jesus on the throne today, that's awesome. I don't see it. I don't feel it. I feel pain. I feel tension. I see it in my family. There's unrest. There's misunderstandings. There's loss. There's death. And as believers in this day, you and I live holding on to both of those realities. Here's the thing. Do not let the pain of today keep you from believing in the Savior who is on the throne. In fact, in fact, 
you hold to the fact that he's on the throne and that he's coming again. You bring that into the reality of that conflict in your family, that difficulty you can't seem to work through, that pain, that loss, that sorrow, that sadness. You bring that reality into it and let it increase your worship. When I see believers passionless, I know they're not appropriating the reality of Jesus into the reality of their life. Because, look, every one of us struggle. I hope you don't look at mine or Heather's Facebooks and think, oh, they're just the perfect couple. Their family just so perfect. I hope you don't think that. Facebook is deceiving. Of course, we're only going to put the good stuff out on Facebook. But look, we struggle. Hello? Sometimes our family doesn't get along. Am I the only one in the room? Sometimes I can't work out all my finances. Sometimes I have difficulty bringing the reality of what God says into the reality of where I live. But you know what? I bring that reality into my situation and I say, I'm going to worship him anyway because one day all this is going to be removed. All this is going to be gone. All things will be at his feet. And I let that truth fill me with passion to cry out even more, to worship even more, to pray even more, to walk even more. That's what you and I do as believers today. We walk it out. Not because it's perfect, but because we believe it by faith. We walk in all this stuff because we believe Jesus today reigns in majesty and he'll one day reign in the reality of that majesty. Amen? I walk in all of that. I walk in the tension of it. I walk in the belief of it in the midst of my realities. This is why on a night in Bethlehem, When a baby was born and the angels filled the sky with a message, they knew this is a king. He's the one who will inherit all things. And so they declared peace on earth, goodwill toward men. This is why the shepherds went running to go see. This is why Mary treasured all those things in her heart because she saw the majesty of Jesus in the moment. And none of them saw him actually reigning in that day. They saw him as a baby, but they worshiped him. Today, don't let the fact that you can't see him fully reigning today stop you from worshiping. In fact, let that fill you with a cry to worship even more the cry to pray more. Amen? Would you bow your heads with me? I know today there are things that you are thankful for that God has done for you. With your heads bowed, would you just tell God, God, thank you. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you that while I was a sinner, You sent your son to be a lamb. Thank you that I'm free today by faith. I know also within this room, we're all longing still. We've received Jesus by faith, but we're still longing for the reality to come. Whatever that reality is, Whatever that thing that you're longing today to see finally and completely brought under his feet, whether it be sickness, loss, pain, death, sorrow, would you just tell him that today? God, I long for the day when this will be under your feet. I can't wait for that day, for that time. Maybe there's some here today who've never even taken the step. Maybe you've 
been resisting. Maybe you've been walking away. Maybe you haven't received Christ. Maybe you haven't surrendered your life to him. You can begin that journey today. You can live with Jesus reigning over your life. You can submit to him. It begins with a simple prayer that says, God, I repent of my sin. Thank you for Jesus. I make you Lord of my life today. By praying that prayer, you were just born again. In just a moment after I pray, we're going to have counselors available here up front. If you prayed that prayer, I would challenge you to come and let them know. Tell them. You've put your faith in Jesus Christ today. You've become a follower. You've surrendered your life. You've made him Lord. It might be that you're still walking in some area of pain in your life today, and you just need someone to pray with you. There's power in having another believer join you and pray to strengthen you and support you while you walk.